Again, glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 40. Oh, I'm sorry, beginning at verse 30. You heard Carrie read the, the passage this morning. This is the passage we're going to cover. So pre-mark your Bibles, hold your spot there. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Mark chapter 6. It was about a week ago, a little more than a week ago, I was in, in Fairbanks visiting my, my parents, I actually had gone up for, uh, for the graduation of my niece, who's graduating from high school. And, and as I always do when I go to Fairbanks, I found myself in my dad's backyard uh, reminiscing. That picture right there is a picture that my sister, my younger sister, who was here last week, snapped of me looking at what has become a symbol of God's provision for our family. That's a 1966 Toyota Land Cruiser pickup. Uh, it's relatively rare, um, but it is an amazing story and has an amazing history. As a matter of fact, it's, it's one of the few keepsakes in my dad's will that when he goes, when he passes, that's passed down to our family. It stays in our family. He bought that back in 1966, and that truck has become... Uh, it's, it's historic in our family. Uh, we bought that truck and not very many months after that we were burned out of our house, lost everything, and that truck was our primary source of transportation. During the 1967 flood, we're out in North Pole and everyone is on the radio saying no danger of flood and we've got six feet of rushing water. And my dad got in that truck and there were eight of us at the time, eight, nine of us, there were nine of us at the time. All nine of us fit in the bed, in the cab of that Toyota pickup. And my father drove that pickup through the water up to the bank of the house. We sat there watching the water rise until it got so high that we had to get out of the truck and jump up on the roof and wait for it to be rescued. That truck uh, is, is, is amazing historically in our family. That truck pulled roots out of the field. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That truck pulled roots out of the field that we had 160 acres of land. When the tractor broke down, that truck still continued to run. That truck sheltered us from the wind, from the snow, from, uh, from the mosquitoes and the bugs. Uh, man, I'm telling you, man, that truck is amazing. It is, it is a statement of God's provision to my family, a symbol of God's provision. Now, as I get older, I look back over my life and and the more I do, the more I'm struck with the realization that my entire life really has been a journey of God's provision for me. Um, I'm certain that, that if you begin to look back, you'll see also that your life is a statement of God's provision for you as well. Um, I can look back and I can clearly see times where, where my education or my experience or my ingenuity or my uh, ability to pull myself up by my bootstraps could have never been adequate to meet the challenge that I faced. Never been adequate. So in hindsight, I look back and, and I realize that it's God's great provision for me that got me through those tough times. And I'm sure that if, if I can get an amen from anybody that understands that, I know you agree with that too, don't you? Amen. Yeah, yeah. You know, older people realize this, and that's the reason why I love hanging around older people, man. 
Because older people have this sense of humility. It's like they realize the older they get, the more they see the hand of God working in, in their life. And, and that's one of the reasons why I love hanging around my mom and dad who are in their 80s now. Because you don't have to be around my mom and dad long before you hear them say something about, to God be the glory. I mean... Whenever my mom gets some kind of accolade, she raised eight children. All of us love Jesus. Um, all of us serving in ministry. And every time my mom talks about uh, our family or she gets accolades about our family, you will hear my mom say, yes, that's great, but to God be the glory. <laughs> Listen, my life has been filled with the supernatural provision of God. Um, and as a child, even through my teenage years, all the way through my early adulthood, uh, into my marriage, even presently today, husbanding my wife and providing for my children, um, I still see God's supernatural provision on my life, and it's been amazing. And so like my mom, I say, to God be the glory. I've taken for a title today, God Provides. God provides. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is nothing short of a supernatural, spectacular uh, view of God's amazing provision. Did you know that this is the only miracle in Jesus' ministry that was recorded in all four Gospels? It's the only one. And you've heard me say in times past, whenever you see Scripture repeat something, Whenever you see Jesus say something and come back to it, it's like, pay attention. This is repeated all, in all four Gospels. This miracle is repeated. It's like the Holy Spirit is screaming at us saying, listen, man, don't miss this. Pay attention to this. I want you to get this. It's like he's saying, I want you to understand the insurmountable nature of what these men were up against so I'm going to say this time and again in all four Gospels so you'll get it. Now, there are so many miracles, so many nuances to this miracle that the casual reader, the person that just kind of just kind of moves right over it because the passage is familiar. You'll miss what the scripture wants to teach us today. I think there are two things that the scripture wants to teach us today. I think in this text, Jesus shows us practically and profoundly how he meets our needs so that we can turn around and minister to the needs of others. I also think that it's important for us to understand that when it comes to God's provision for us, God's timing is not ours all the time. Amen, Pastor. Amen. And, and second to that, how he chooses to provide is not up to us. It's not up to us. So here's the key takeaway from our message today, from this message today. Here's the key takeaway. When God provides a window of opportunity, our responsibility is to respond in love even when it's inconvenient. How many of you know ministering to the needs of others is not always convenient? But it is God's will, and often we see God at work when we do it. So... To that end, let me say this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and here today, I want to say to you, you are a minister of the gospel. You are a minister of the gospel. And as ministers, we're called, we are called, we are called, everybody say called, 
We are called to minister to the needs of others. And I'll tell you something, if we're going to minister to the needs of others, if we're going to live as radical followers of Jesus Christ, we are going to have to live by faith. We're going to have to live by faith. Living by faith is not going to be an option for us. God will always allow things to occur in our lives that will stretch us, that will cause our faith to grow. We have to live by faith. He'll use all kinds of things. Could be a wayward teenager. Could be unreliable transportation. It could be a hot water heater that goes out and you don't have money to pay for. It could be a flat tire on the road. We don't know what it is. It could be a, a health issue. It could be a financial crisis. God will use the circumstances of our lives to grow our faith and utter dependence on him and him alone. Sooner or later, we have to learn to trust him. We have to learn to live by faith. So with this in mind from our text today, I think our text gives us four expectations of God's provision in times when he calls us to do something and that calling presents a difficult challenge. And so I broke it down like this. When ministry as ministers of the gospel is inconvenient, God supplies strength, Strength that we need to persevere through our pain, compassion, compassion that exceeds our exhaustion, confidence in what we already have, and reassurance that his abundant provision is more than enough for us. Let me take the first point. When ministry, when God uses us to minister and it's inconvenient, God supplies the strength to persevere even through our pain. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the greatest challenges that I have each week is, is to preach a sermon within the entire context of, of what's being presented in the passage and to do that in one message. So let me tell you what I believe is happening here. I'm going to join some things. I'm going to go back and, and uh, pull back from, from uh, what I talked about last week. Remember last week when I talked about John the Baptist being beheaded for telling the truth? Remember that? John the Baptist was the first cousin of Jesus. In fact, if you read the, the, the account of, of the birth of John and Jesus in Luke chapter 1, you'll see that both John's mother and Jesus' mother were pregnant at the same time. They were like six months apart. The account is amazing. You need to go back and you need to read it. Uh, in Matthew chapter 11, let me, before I get there though, I think, I believe that is quite possible, maybe even probable because of, of the culture that Jesus lived in, that Jesus and John grew up together, that they knew each other very, very well. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus makes this statement about John that's profound. It's almost as if he, he eulogizes John before John's head cut off, is cut off. He says, there, is, there has never been a man like John the Baptist. There's never been a prophet like John the Baptist. There has never been anyone like him no greater than this man. Jesus loved John. He loved him. And John kept telling Herod the truth about his sins, and it cost him his life. Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 13, is, is like the, it's the parallel passage to where we're at today. And this is how it begins. It says, now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. 
Here's what I think is happening. I, I know it's not stated here, but it is strongly implied in all three texts. I believe that Jesus is grieving the loss of his cousin. Yeah, I believe that Jesus hears that his cousin's head has been lopped off for, for telling the truth. And in his grief, he withdraws from the crowd. He goes to a desolate place and he takes his closest companions with him. And remember, his companions had been, he had just sent them out two by two. Remember that? He sent them out two by two. They had performed all these miracles. They, they had healed the sick. They cast out demons. They had ministered to the poor and the underprivileged and the afflicted. And they had come back to tell Jesus what had taken place, right? And they were exhausted. They hadn't had a chance to rest. They hadn't had a chance to eat. The people just kept coming and coming. And remember, Jesus Christ is, is both fully God, yes, but he's also fully man. And so his loss in this time is palpable. And so I believe he withdraws from the crowd because of his grief. He's hurting. And yet in his pain, I'd say it this way, yet because of his pain, we see him performing one of the greatest miracles recorded in human history. Here's my point. Sometimes the greatest miracle of God in our lives are realized during times of our greatest pain. Yeah. You ever, you ever find yourself like immersed, almost drowning in something that you're going through, a situation or circumstance, and somebody comes to you and they begin to tell you their story, and before you know it, it's like some kind of supernatural thing happens, and you step outside of your own pain and begin to minister theirs, and you realize that your pain has been lost on you for about a half hour as you've been ministered to this person? You ever had that happen? Yeah. God uses us. In that way, when we step outside of ourselves to meet the needs of others, this is what Jesus was facing. And Jesus wanted to go away and be alone. But the crowd sees him get in the boat with his disciples, and they follow him along the shoreline. And li now listen, now, this is not a small group of people. Remember, the word had already spread throughout the countryside like wildfire that Jesus and his crew were performing miracles, man. This is the man that healed the sick. This is the man that raised the dead girl. And now watch this. His disciples are doing the same thing. I could just see the people on the shoreline. Hey, man, go to Paul's house. Tell him, grab your stuff, man. Grab your stuff. We're going to go see Jesus. We're going to camp out until we see him. I can see it happening. Conservative estimates say that there was at least 20,000 people. Because remember, it's the feeding of the 5,000, but it only talks about 5,000 men. There are also women and children. So conservatively, there was over 20,000 people that converged on Jesus and his disciples when they step off the boat. These people are hurting. They're sick. They're disenfranchised. They're marginalized. People could care less about them in society, so they converge on Jesus and his disciples. Thousands of people converge on Jesus, and here's what happens. In that moment, Jesus realized that it was one of those times that he needed to lay down his own will and press into his Father's will. So Jesus makes the shift from his own situation, from his own hurt and pain, 
And he shifts his focus to the hurting and the disenfranchised and those who needed him most. And it's in that time that God provided him the strength that he needs. God provides strength in times of our greatest pain. In times of our greatest pain, God will use us to ministers to others in spite of what we're going through. Yeah. So he'll provide strength in the time of our greatest pain. Second, he'll, he'll provide compassion that exceeds our exhaustion. Compassion that exceeds our exhaustion. Jesus goes away to be alone, steps off the boat, looks around, sees 20,000 plus people waiting to get a piece of him. And him and his, he and his disciples, they're tired, they're hungry, but instead of turning away from the crowd, they turn towards the crowd and they begin moving towards the crowd. Why? Because Jesus loves them. And he has compassion on them. His compassion overrode his exhaustion. The word compassion here is really interesting, families. It's from, it's from a Greek word that literally means more than sympathy and more than empathy. It really literally means bowels. It means your innermost being. So the translation here for compassion can best be, be, be uh, mentioned as having your inner being stirred. And so in that moment, Jesus is, is moved with compassion that extends beyond his exhaustion into sacrifice. And so I'd say it like this, compassion and sacrifice go hand in hand. You ever been so compassionate about something that you sacrificed of yourself to see whatever it was taken care of or come to pass? People have lost their lives in acts of compassion, giving themselves and sacrificing themselves for the needs of others. Compassion and sacrifice go together. So Jesus steps off the boat, and the first thing he does is he begins to minister to their expressed needs. Now, now here's, I want you to pay attention because I think this is important. I believe this is the precursor for Jesus meeting the need for food later on. I think this is Jesus really setting up his disciples for what's to come later when the crude crisis, the food, the food crisis emerges. Hmm. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to them, listen, you see, I've healed them. You see, I minister to their needs. Don't you think I can feed them? Hmm. There's a food problem. There's no food to eat. It's an impossible situation. Scripture doesn't say this, but I. But this is what I believe. I believe that when Jesus stepped off the boat, and I'm taking, I'm taking into, into consideration everything that's gone into the disciples and Jesus' relationship with them up to this point. I believe that Jesus was teaching them how to do these things, understanding that he was going to be gone soon. And so I believe, I can just see Jesus stepping off the boat, completely exhausted, worn out, full of compassion, seeing these people that were like a sheep without a shepherd and stepping into their pain. Now watch this. I can see the disciples following Jesus 
doing the very same thing. I can see the disciples saying, man, I'm tired, I'm worn out too. But if Jesus is doing this, I need to be doing it too. So I believe that his disciples began ministering to the crowd of people. Yeah. Leads me to my third point. When ministry is inconvenient, God supplies the confidence in what we already have because what we already have is enough. I want you to drop down to verse 35, chapter 6, verse 35. Are you there? When you have it, say, I have a pastor. Good, good. Verse 35, I'm reading out of the ESV so it might look a little different than yours. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, <laughs> I, okay, I have, I have to like hold on when I, when I read this because I always look at the disciples as if I was there, right? If, if it was me, right? Okay. What was that, verse 35? It grew late and his disciples came to him and said, man, this is a desolate place. And the hour is late. Send these folks away into the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 100, 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? Now listen, I believe that there might have been some sarcastic disciples right then. <laughs> Think about it now. These cats are tired. They're worn out. Jesus tells them, get into the boat. We're going to go. <laughs> we're going to go to a desolate place and we're going to rest. What did they see Jesus do? He steps off the boat. There is no rest. He steps right into the people and they got to follow him into the people. I think that some of them might have been a little miffed at that point. I'm just saying, can you guys go there with me? Can you see that? Because listen, when I'm tired, I'm, I'm, I'm not too good to be around precious. When I'm hungry, man, I ain't had no sleep, I had nothing to eat, man, I love. I'm not the nicest to be around. So you invited me on this place of respite, Jesus. We're supposed to be going to this desolate place to just kick it for a while. And you step off the boat and start ministering to 20,000 people. I'm through with you. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's a desolate place, Jesus. Hey, man, you give them something to eat. Shall we spend all our money feeding these folk? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, I have, we have five and two fish. And he commanded them, sit them all down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of a hundred and in fifties. Now, I think I might have got ahead of myself, but that's okay. I get excited. Sometimes that happens. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat in this desolate place. Jesus knew this day would come for them. He'd been training them for this day. I can see Jesus saying, listen, I've already prepared you for this. 
What do you have in your hand right now? What do you have at your disposal? You don't need to send people away. Listen to this, watch this now. You have what they need, but do you know what you have? Do you understand what you've already been given? I think Jesus was saying, listen, why, why do you want to send these people away to find a resource when the source, me, is standing right here in their midst? I just healed them. I just encouraged the downtrodden. I just cast out demons. And what's more, they're here now because they've seen you do the same. Why are you sending them away for something when in me you already have everything you need? Now, trust me and act like you believe it. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Turn to the person next to you. I've not done this before, but we're going to do it today like we're in a sanctified church. Turn to the person next to you. Look them right in the eyes. Turn to the person next to you. And say, you give them something to eat. No, no, you. Say, you give them something to eat. Roger, Roger, will you check William, make sure he's not packing, because he's like, you give him something to eat. <laughs> no, man, you give them something to eat. You do it, Jesus was telling them. I've taught you that everything you need, you already have. Now, listen, here's what I want, I want us to be careful about. I want us to be careful about. Be very careful not to do things in your own strength and with your own resources, or by your own logic. No, the first thing we need to ask God when he provides us an opportunity to minister is, is God, apparently you trust me with this opportunity. How do you want me to handle it? How, how do you want me to handle it? Because don't miss this now. This is Jesus we're talking about, right? Jesus could have miraculously fed the 5,000 folk. I mean, Jesus, Jesus could have just went. And Gloria, you said, mm, I'm full. You're full? Hey, man, I'm full. I don't know how I got full, but I'm full. He could have miraculously fed the 5,000. They could have looked down and like, poof, been like all kind of full course meal, like they was having a picnic out there on the grass. Think about it. He's Jesus. He could have done that. But he doesn't. And I believe it's for two reasons. One, he wanted his, to, his disciples to experience how he ministered as both human and divine. Because remember, he steps out of his own pain and he begins to minister to them supernaturally. Right? And then I think he wanted them to participate in the miracle. To be part of what he's doing. Said it before, I'll say it again. Hey guys, I'm leaving soon. I'm going back to my father. But I've told you already, greater works will you do than I've ever done. No, no, I'm going to be gone. You feed them. You feed them. Use what you already have. That's my third point. Hmm. Here's my fourth and final point. 
when ministry is inconvenient or it seems untimely, God supplies reassurance of his abundant provision because he has more than enough. So Jesus looks at him and says, listen, you've identified what's, what's in your hands. You've, you've identified what you've been given. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take what you have and I want you to surrender it to me so I can multiply it. I want to turn your just enough into more than enough. And we know, <laughs> this cracks me up too, we know from John's account in John 6 and 9 that they got the food from this little boy, right? This little boy had five loaves of bread and two fish. Now some, some uh, theologians or historians believe that this guy probably had packed enough, this little boy probably packed enough lunch for him and, and maybe his, his buddy, right? So now he's sitting there, and I can see one of the disciples going out to him. Hey, man, what you got in that bag? <laughs> what, what you got in that bag, man? I'm going to need that. I'm going to need that from you. Can you see this little kid like, no. Look, my mama taught me somebody get ready to take my lunch. It's time to scrap, man. No, dude, no, listen, you don't understand. Guy over there. He needs what you have. He needs what you have. Listen, I promise you, I promise you, you ain't seen nothing like this. I, don't, I have no idea what he's going to do, but trust me, if you give me that, I'm going to give it to him, and you might, you might be part of something really, really special. Will you give that to me so I, can, so I can give it to Jesus? Will you surrender it to me? Robert said no. Everybody lay hands on Robert so we can make sure he gets delivered today for he leave. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Your first day here, I'm picking at you, man. You're like, man, I ain't never coming back to that church. No, so listen, man. They surrendered to Jesus, and they placed it in Jesus' hands, and miracles begin to happen. And here's the key. Miracles can happen. They can't happen as long as we're trying to take matter into our own hands. Miracles can only happen when we surrender what we have to the Lordship of Jesus. There's a song that we used to sing, Ordinary People, and the tagline is that little becomes much when we place it in the Master's hand. Keep in mind, Jesus never told them what he was going to do. Scripture tells us in Luke that he, that he, he was talking to Philip, and, and Phil, he never told Philip what he's going to do. So he never told them what he was going to do. So here's the question. Will we obey Jesus even when we don't know what he's doing? Will we obey him anyway in spite of maybe some things that he wants to do that defies logic? Will we still obey him? Can you imagine the disciples watching Jesus break these two fish and these five loaves? Can you imagine as, as he gives it, gives it to them to distribute what happens? Oh, man, man, wow, wow. They take, they take those two fish and they break it up and they give a piece to Tom and it's just more than enough to take a piece and give to William, and it's 
just more than enough. They take, a, take that bread, they do the same thing. They, they start giving out the bread and, and each time they break it, it's just more than, just more than enough. Just more than enough. Sometimes it seems like we only have enough for ourselves and, and, and I'm telling you, Jesus is saying, listen, even when it's inconvenient, if you'll step out of yourself to minister to the needs of others, I'll give you just more than enough. You just keep bringing it back to me. You just keep surrendering it to me and watch me continue to provide. Just more than enough for the next person. That's how faith is. That's how faith is. Faith is about hearing and obeying and then receiving. God gives to us, we receive it so that we can give it to someone else. Someone once said that we're not manufacturers, we're just distributors. Hmm. We distribute whatever God gives us and we pass it on to others. We don't own it. We're not proprietors of it. It's his and he's the one that gives the power for us to distribute. So this is the lesson that he gave his disciples. And it's the lesson that he teaches us today through this passage. And here it is. If you stay close to me, if you work with me, working with what I've already been, what I've already given you. If you'll obey me and you'll do what I say for you to do, I'll give you what you need, more than what you need to pass on to others. And then I'll allow you to be partakers of my grace and participants in my miracles. And when the work is complete, you and those who you minister to will be satisfied and you'll have more than enough to bless others. Yeah. That's how God provides. That's how he provides. So in closing, here's my challenge to you on this Memorial Weekend. Remember God's provision for you. Remember God's provision for you. Listen, spend time this weekend to get around the table or, or get around the campsite or whenever you, whatever, wherever you normally congregate. Get around the TV and cut that bad boy off and talk about God's goodness and his provision to you. Tell, tell people who you love stories about God's provision that perhaps they've never heard before. Or rehearse for them again and again stories of God's provision in your life that maybe they've heard but they need to be reminded of. In the book of the law, time and again in the book of Deuteronomy, we hear Moses say, remember, 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 remember. Remember God. Remember his provision. Put those stones up there. Put that Ebenezer out there so that we can go back and remember God's provision for us. I challenge you this weekend, on this memorial weekend where we're remembering the sacrifice of those who gave their lives for us. Stop and rehearse with those around you, your children, maybe your children's children's God's provision for you. And remember Remember. And then I challenge you to do this. 
Maybe, maybe you start a family tradition where instead of getting lost in what's going on with the, with the spectacular celebrations of Christmas and New Year's and Easter, and you take those, those times and establish a tradition where you go back and you touch the things that God has done for you. And you remember God's provision for you. That's my challenge for you this weekend.